You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 57. Today, I'm joined by Mary Jo Bevan, and we're discussing using raw herbs in the clinic. Thanks for joining us on the Heavenly Chi Podcast today, Mary Jo, and I'm very excited to have you as one of my very first guests after such a long break. So welcome to the show, Mary Jo. Thanks, Claire. It's exciting to be on the show. It's one of my favourite podcasts to listen to. And it's, yeah, it's been a while since you've put out an episode. So this is cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Maternity leave, baby number two, Mm -hmm. really, um, it's such a game changer (laughs) and took a lot more energy from me than I was imagining. And so, yeah, there hasn't been any episodes for a while, but here we are again. And uh, and we're going to talk today about one of one of your favourite topics. It's also one of my favourite topics too, which is um, using raw herbs in the clinic. Do you want to give me a bit of background on why you love raw herbs so much? How did you how did you come to Chinese medicine? How did you come to practicing in the way that you're practicing now? Yeah, sure. Why the herb love? Hey, so yeah. I um <laughs> I um. I was really drawn to and interested in herbs from an early age. My mum was a bit of a, I guess, a hippie, so we were always drinking herbal tea if we had a cough or a cold. And I guess instead of putting me off, that just made me interested in herbs. But I thought my path was going to be to study medicine and become a doctor and then, you know, prescribe some herbs as part of what I did. And that didn't quite pan out. I went into... um, I went and studied science and went down the pathway of neuroscience and studying cytokines and the stress response. But I also didn't really want to be just working on um, cutting up rats forever. The research was interesting, but I was happy for someone else to be doing it, I guess. And one of the professors at the uni I was at was um, interested in Chinese medicine and its history. And he kind of just thought it would be quite a good fit for me. So like you do when you're 22, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll study that next. So I went to RMIT to study Chinese medicine, and I really thought I was going there to study acupuncture and then go into acupuncture research. But what happened is that I fell in love with herbs. Um, I had some really great herb lecturers at RMIT and just the range of what herbs could do and the the look and feel of them, the whole medicine just really appealed. It was kind of, it was the framework that I'd wanted when I was wanting to do first do herbal medicine, but that I hadn't known existed. So I was pretty set on doing herbs. And then after I graduated, I was lucky enough to do a mentorship um, student program at Stephen Clavey's clinic in Melbourne. And that just um, reinforced my love of herbs and gave me a whole lot more confidence and knowledge around using herbs and um, in their traditional methods. And I guess after that, I couldn't practice with anything but the real deal, the raw herbs. That's such a great story. I never knew that you started out in neuroscience. Yeah, look, I think the neuroscience was, you know, it was a, I was interested in the mind and the body connection and that was as close as you could get to it back in 1999. You know, there wasn't really that whole um, that whole field of, you know, gut-brain access and all this kind of stuff was just, you know, really woo-woo at that time. So, yeah, happily I found Chinese medicine, which, you know, is 
scientific and has this whole framework and is a much better fit. Yeah, and isn't it interesting, you know, like I have a um, an engineering background, so I had a full nerd experience of, mm-hmm. you know, maths and science in a different way. Engineering, you know, you get penalised for being too accurate, um, whereas <laughs> you guys get penalised for being not accurate enough, but, yes. you know, still very science-based and um, and then coming to Chinese medicine with that, with that, I guess, as a foundation, how do you, how do you see that that coloured your experience of learning Chinese medicine? Well, I think it actually, um, I struggled a lot with all the grey areas of Chinese medicine, all the nuance for a while, and maybe that's why I was more drawn to herbs because there was a more, you know, putting something into the system, these are your interactions and you're getting something as a result at the end. And acupuncture, particularly when you're learning it and depending on who you're learning it from, can feel a lot more tenuous. It's very, very nuanced and very um, ethereal. But, yes, I did struggle even after graduating and starting to practice. I struggled without going, you know, if I do this, this will happen every time and learning to be okay with that, those shades of grey, I guess, and the uncertainty which... Western medicine also has, but, you know, it's not as um, admitted or it's not included in the model. Was that your experience as well? Or Yeah, I think I came, in some ways I was always the opposite to you. I came to Chinese medicine <laughs> imagining that I was going to do herbal medicine and I studied at Victoria University and I decided that I was going to do an acupuncture major and we still had to learn herbs anyway. Um, and because herbs were so much more academic, I felt like learning how to do something from within that environment of being, you know, supported and having lots of face-to-face contact made more sense mm-hmm. because the academic side of stuff, you know, I felt that that would have been easier to focus on later on. And in the end I ended up doing, you know, going to all of the classes anyway um but yeah initially thinking oh i'm going to do herbs and then um and then having more of a focus on acupuncture and i guess it's all kind of come full circle now for me anyway which it sounds like it has for you as well but um yeah yeah it was um it was interesting what i thought i was coming to study and then what i ended up studying and then how it all turned out is all very different than what i could have ever imagined Totally. I think, I mean, I went into it thinking I'm going to research acupuncture and connect it with all the neuroscience knowledge I have. And I'm going to figure out what's, you know, how acupuncture works, because that's what you think when you're 22. But um, really, I'm lucky that the course at RMIT was, uh, you know, Chinese herbs and acupuncture, and it wasn't really an either or, because that way I came across herbs. And now I, you know, I do both, I do practice both. And I, love both parts of the medicine and I'm glad I don't have to choose one or the other, but I do really love the raw herbs. Raw herbs are pretty amazing. And I guess we hear so many, um, um, you know, some of the main complaints that come from practitioners, not necessarily from the patients, is that my patients won't take raw herbs. Yeah. What's your response to a colleague if they if they have that as their input to a conversation on prescribing herbs in in clinic? So I guess I'd be saying why not and I'd be checking, you know, 
what options are you giving them? What are you telling them about the raw herbs? Are you offering it as an option or are you assuming that they're just not going to do that and take it? Because I find myself, if the patient's given the right amount of information and had it, have it all explained to them and, you know, then they're a lot more likely to want to give it a go. So for, patient, for practitioners who are saying their patients aren't going to take raw herbs, yeah, I guess it's like, well, are you telling them the right things about them? Are you selling them enough? Are you encouraging them? Because, you know, there's a lot of things my patients aren't that keen on doing, like cutting out coffee, for example, or um, only having one drink a week. And if I just gave them the option to, they'd probably not really care. But because I say this is why this isn't good for you and this is why you should stop, you're going to get that result. I think it's important to have a spiel, definitely. Um, yeah. It's it, it's just like any other prescription, as you say. It's almost like a lifestyle prescription in the sense that here are the herbs that's going to make the most difference to you. These are the, you know, they're the strongest. They're going to get yeah. you better the exactly. quickest. And yeah. here's what's involved in doing it. That's right. So, you know, you sit the patient down and you say, well, look, there are different options, but based on your symptoms, this is what's going to get the um, the quick, the fastest results or get the most change for us. And, um, you know, this is what's involved in taking them because sometimes they don't really know what you mean by raw herbs and what you have to do with them. So when they've got that knowledge, um, they're a lot more likely to be on board. And then also just telling them it's not a life sentence. It's not something they're going to have to do for ever and ever. And once things improve enough, then they can take other ready-made forms of Chinese medicine but I think maybe starting out with that then it feels like once you've moved down a notch or two to the pills when things have improved they really you know they enjoy it and it's a lot easier whereas if they start out taking pills and then that's a bit hard to take or they forget you've kind of got nowhere to go. Yeah that's very true that's very true. What's your what's your compliance rate like with with prescribing herbs for patients to cook up at home? So my compliance rate is pretty good with the patients that get raw herbs, but I do have to admit that, you know, not 100% of my patients take raw herbs. Some patients I just see for acupuncture and then some patients I see who are, you know, really busy um, or have a very sensitive stomach and or, you know, just think I cannot do this. So I'm setting myself up for failure if I try and get some of these people to take raw herbs and the way I look at it is that the herbs have, the herbs are only going to work if the patient can actually take them. So I'm, I can, you know, I can give them the spiel and give them, send them away with these packets of herbs and the herbs can sit on the shelf and next time they come and see me, they'll say, oh, I don't feel any different. And then it turns out they didn't take their herbs. So I'd rather give them something that they're more likely to take. And I guess by explaining to them what briefly in the consult what the herbs what what the herbs are and what's involved, I can get a pretty good sense of if they're going to be able to do it. And um, I used to assume some people wouldn't, and then I was pleasantly, you know, I was actually surprised then they did. So, for example, sometimes I might assume that someone wasn't going to take raw herbs, and I'd give them something you know, some pills and then they'd come back and they'd say, oh, it's not, no change. And I'd say, well, you know, I think you need the strong stuff. Let's just try 
a couple of weeks of Chinese herbs and see if we get a better, um, we can get some more change. And they'd come back and they're like, oh, I feel so much better and I'd want to have more herbs. So I guess in doing it that way, I learned that often people will take the herbs um, if you screen, I guess, for those who are just um, not going to have the time or the patience for it. I think that's a really good point to bring up. And that's definitely something that I have found, especially in the last five years of practice, I would say, in that, you know, I've spent a lot of time focusing on revisiting my assumptions in in a lot of aspects of, of clinical practice. And one of those assumptions was, well, you know, how much of my ideal kind of like absolutely you know i'm just trying to think of the right word like if if i had a the the most amazingly possible treatment that i could prescribe for a patient i'm not holding back this is a hundred percent of everything that i can give to you and i was finding that some patients i would offer that and some patients i wouldn't and and i realized that you know, there's there's so many layers, I guess, that this can operate within ourselves as a as a practitioner, this internal dialogue. And that one of the ways that was manifesting was um the use of or the you know prescribing of raw herbs versus giving patents or granules. And so I just started talking to people, you know, had a standard spiel, um, herbal medicine, the most potent, um the, the quickest working the strongest and the most customizable to you is the raw herbs, you know, and the next, the next ones down are the granules. They're not as potent. Um, we can still customize them. They're a bit more expensive. Mm. And then, you know, the pills, which are, we can't change them. We can't customize them, but they're easy to take and they're cheap. Yeah. And I was so surprised at how many people would go, you know what, I'm going to give these raw herbs a go. Or I would say to someone, hey, I know you're really busy and I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. What I want what I want to do is spend the first two weeks of your treatment really getting on top of this. You're going to need to spend a couple of hours a week commitment to, to boil up the herbs. I really think it's going to make a big difference. And then after that, we can see how you're feeling as to whether we stick with that or transition to something that's a bit easier for you. How does that sound to you? And most people would say, thank God, I'm here because I want to get better. Thank God you said that. Like I'll take time off work if I have to boil these things up. Um, And I was like, oh, man, this is great. You know, like I was really, um, it was really motivating for me to have so many of my patients on raw herbs. And so I guess, um, you know, that idea where patient motivation comes into it, I would probably also challenge how much of it is practitioner mindset and how much we think that it's a pain and it's annoying to have to boil up herbs and that we're putting that onto a patient where, you know, they're suffering and they're coming to us hoping for a solution. They're like, they've spent an hour in traffic to get to me, trying to find a car park, get into my clinic, you know, like they set aside time for this stuff. They can set aside time for herbs. Yeah, it's like, I guess, if you went to see a doctor and they're like, well, you know, we've got a few options and the best thing to do would be, you know, um, to take this medicine, but you know, it, it doesn't taste that great and it costs a bit of money and it, you know, it might take you a while to, to get it from the pharmacy. So you can just take this other one. It's not going to work as well, but 
it's still, you know, still something. And I'm not saying the other forms don't work well, and I think they really have their place, but I think you're right, people are coming to you to get that result. And if you know that that's what's going to get the result, then they should at least have the option. And I also liked your way of, you know, just saying it's only for a few weeks and then we'll see how you feel. Because at that point, if you've, you know, if you've done the formula right and you've improved things for them and they're feeling a bit better, they're going to be keen to keep going on the raw herbs. So another way, it's just another way of saying, you know, it's not forever. You, you do this first part and then you see how you feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, you mentioned that you're not using herbs with all of your patients and you're not using raw herbs with all your patients. When do you find them most necessary? When do you say to your patient, look, normally I give people the option, I'm not giving you the option, this is this is what's going to work best for you. What like What makes you feel compelled to say that to a particular patient or not? Yeah, okay, and I've definitely gotten more confident with this over time and with cases that I've seen, but it's certainly when when something's bad enough. So when someone's got bad period pain or endometriosis, for example, that's when I know that we're going to need raw herbs to really get enough of a change and get a change, get at least get the ball rolling. And that's also when patients will be motivated to take the herbs when their condition's bad enough that they really want to do something about it. Someone else might come to see you and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm a bit stressed and a bit this and that. But if someone's in a lot of pain, then they just want to make that pain go away. And I find that for period pain and endo, the raw herbs are pretty crucial, at least in my treatments, as well as some acupuncture, of course. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Definitely um, gynecological issues, women coming for fertility. Um, I also find a lot of um, a lot of patients who are undergoing cancer treatment are usually very motivated to take raw herbs and I find that I don't want to use anything else with them. I just want to go with with the raw herbs. And probably the only other category that I would add to that would be I have a lot of highly sensitive patients and they have a lot of known or unknown food reactions and or chemical reactions. Um, And I feel a lot more confident giving them raw herbs than I am in prescribing them um, a patent formula or even a granule formula. I've had quite a few patients who've had, they've done really well on a raw herb formula, put them onto the exact same granule formula, same ratio, same herbs, exactly the same, and they will react poorly, either with, you know, skin rash or itching or some of their symptoms will return and they just don't have that on the raw formula. Sorry, do you think so? It's the, do you think it's the fillers and things or the, the synergistic reactions of the granules that's to blame for that? Well, I think, I think the, um, I think it's the fillers. Um, it's mm. the different types of starch that the people are reacting to. Um, so I guess with granules, you've got rice starch, corn starch, and potato starch are the three main starches yeah. that I'm aware of. Um, and depending on which company you're getting it from and which manufacturing method they use, it can, you know, a granule formula can be comprised of up to 80 to 90% starch. And so from a, I mean, from a herbal medicine point of view, we do use starch-based herbs um, and they suit 
a very particular purpose. We don't necessarily want to be giving the same herb to everyone, which I guess you kind of are when you're using granule herbs, which, I mean, that's the payoff for convenience. Yeah. Now, you did mention that um, that issue of synergistic yeah. activity, and I have found, I have definitely found with a formula like Xiao Chai Hu Tang, for example, the only way that it works for what I've seen in my patients for things like, you know, where they've got really full-on lingering pathogen stuff. So I had a patient yeah. who came back from South America with chikungunya, for example. Wow. Um, and, you know, I'd prescribed for him a pill version when he went away. Um, I prescribed a, um, a granule formula version for him when he was away on holiday as well, and neither of them had they actually had no effect on him yeah. and that was, you know, we were trying with dosage and, and different types of things, um, but none of them had any effect on his symptoms um, and the only thing that worked for him was the was the raw herb cook-up of Sha Chai Hu Tang and obviously over and, you know, once he'd taken it for long enough, he didn't need to be on it anymore, but in that yeah. first uh, that first three months that I was treating him, any time that he went off the raw herbs, we lost all effectiveness. Yeah, so. wow. And there is, yeah, that synergy is kind of crucial. And I, when I'm using granules, I often try and do it more, Thai, I guess it's Taiwan style, where you're using the formula that's been prepared and cooked as, as a formula, not as singles, because then at least the herbs have been prepared together and they've had that um, synergistic reaction. But the thing that you can do with raw herbs that you can't with granules is you can vary the cooking time depending on what effect you want to get. So you can make sure that um, nice, heavy, rich tonic herbs are being cooked long enough and getting to those deeper layers of the body. But you can also um, do some great formulas for things like colds or hay fever where you're cooking, you're using light doses of herbs with lots of volatile oils and you're just cooking them for a short time so five or ten minutes for a couple of boils and that's that's kind of letting the herbs release the exterior which is what they're meant to do and um, similarly with your xiao chai hutang when you're cooking that up I guess you're getting those reactions too so you have a whole lot of flexibility with the raw herbs over the granules in terms of how you're preparing them and um, I guess the other part of that flexibility is that you'll have an almost endless um, array of herbs when you take powder or the cooking process into account in that you could use something like dangue tan, which is the charcoal dangue to stop bleeding, or you can use regular dangue. And I know some of these you can get as a granule, but you just have a bit more flexibility um, with the types when you're using raw. You know, I've always been so fascinated with people that have both the time and the motivation to do all their own powder in clinic. <laughs> how, how much powder do you do in your clinic, Mary Jo? Well, I definitely don't do as much as um, we did when when I was in at Steve Clavey's clinic. They're amazing there. You know, there's always something cooking and processing in the wok, um, salts, salts um, soaked huang bai to take it to the kidneys. But a few that I've definitely just been gotten accustomed to using and have to have in my clinic is the xiangfu that's soaked in Chinese wine, vinegar, ginger and honey, which just makes it so much better for dealing with gynae stuff and period pain. And um, the 
having the shanjutsu but chow or tan so that you're really taking that heat clearing aspect to the different levels to the blood level so look i'd say i may be doing about 25% of what I could be with the pulger, but there's um, it's usually when a particular case comes in and I go, oh, this really needs a bit more like with the blood stopping herbs as well, the lotus root or the old year. Um, if you have that, if you soak that and then bake it till it's almost a bit charcoaly and blackened is just going to be so much better for stopping bleeding. So I guess the ones where it's really worth doing are really going to make a big change, but yeah, not as many as they're doing at some clinics for sure. Yeah, well, Steve Clavey's clinic really does take it to a whole other level. Um, and especially with gyne herbs, especially if you're wanting to do, you know, stop bleeding formulas, a lot of those do call on those charcoal herbs. Yeah. Um, what about the honey so like Jugan Sao, Juhuang Chi, do you get those in already with the, the prepared form or do you do that yourself? Is that one of the categories of herbs that you do or do you not use those? those well, herbs? so I, I would say I'm definitely a traditionalist. You know, I still I use the traditional Chinese scales for weighing as well just because that's how I learned. And once, you're, once you can use them quickly, it's actually very flexible and you can run around with them. But um despite being a traditionalist, sometimes it's easier to outsource. And so the herbs that I get, I can get an excellent jugan sao, for example, and it saves me having to mess around with honey. And no matter how much I try to chow it, it would still end up a little bit sticky. So I certainly tried and there were some I just went, you know what, I can't do them as well and I can get them prepared really well. But I was finding if I bought the jutsu tanned, it was just too tan. It was really black and it wasn't how I wanted it. So Probably the ones, I'd definitely prepare the ones that I can't get hold of and um, or I can't make or that, you know, but then the ones I'm not doing a very good job on and I can get a really good version of, of course, I'm going to save myself the time. I do definitely love having some of the Chao Huang Chi in clinic. So it's I don't use the Zhe Huang Chi as much, but I just um, I just lightly spray it so it's a little damp and then I bake it um, with, oh, with a little wine as well. So soaked in a little um, mixture of wine and water and then baked. So it's um, it's more nourishing and more tonifying but not overly sticky. So, yeah, there are definitely some favourites. Yeah, wow. I've always wondered who was, you know, who was doing all of the honey preparing of their herbs and who is outsourcing it because I find it sticky enough when it's in the container if I've got it in from from my supplier um, yeah. and I guess then there's that um, you know the the Shang Han Lun tradition for example with Jagan Sao is not even prepared with honey do you have any comments on that uh, I'm probably I'm probably a bit of a generalist. I, while I'm a traditionalist, I'm not a Shanghanlun purist. So I'm, you know, I'm not always doing exactly the Shanghanlun doses or the preparation methods. And I know there are people out there who are following them and um, making beautiful honey pills and things like that exactly to the traditions. But no, not so much. Yeah. Um, I think I've said before on at least one or two episodes, but... Um, some of the some of the traditional preparation methods um, I find really 
helpful as well. So for example, a lot of the formulas that are designed to be made into a one or a honey pill, um, I find those to be just fabulous when they're taken as a honey pill and it's just not the same when it's done as a cook-up. Um, Tianmen Bushindan is one of those formulas that now I'm almost, I, th- I think Me I've too, now yeah. been spoiled for life. Spoiled for life is definitely a term that I would use in relation <laughs> to Tianwen because once you've done Tianwen as, you know, the proper Shang Hanlun dosage and ratios where, you know, it's so much Sheng Di, so much Sheng Di, yeah. um, and then you, you know, powder it up and then combine it with, um, you know, into a ball, like it is just, it is the sweetest tasting yeah. formula and it's so calming <laughs> And it's so nice, obviously, without the mercury, but yes. um, the juicer. But, oh, man, what a formula. What a formula. Do you make your own honey pills? I used to. So I'm I'm at this interesting transition. So I'm literally about to move to a new clinic next week. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm in the process of just trying to rationalise everything and make it all sustainable into the future in you know, where I'm not going to be having my own clinic anymore. You know, I'm wanting to spend less time at work and more time with my family. Yeah. Less and, time rolling um, up batches of honey pills, hey? Let's, well, less time yeah. rolling up. Yeah, we had this whole production line going at one stage and we were buying 20 kilo tubs of honey from um, from a, a practitioner who's nearby who has his own bees. Um oh. And we were going through, we've got these 20 kilo tubs of honey. And I found in the storeroom, we were cleaning up the other day and I'm like, oh, there's still like 10 kilos of honey in this tub. Um, I haven't been doing the herbs, uh, you know, rolling up the pills for probably about a year or so. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just not, it's just not the same. I definitely have um, the raw powdered form of um of tn1 and if patients yeah. want to they can um they can mix it with honey i tell them they can mix it with honey and take it that way or um that they can just you know have it in hot water and and have it that way but um yeah, yeah. Oh, what a great formula man <laughs> <laughs> so good and it's funny because i find that um i don't i don't make the real traditional honey pills i usually just get something ready made but I do find that there are some formulas like Tianwan Bushindan that actually it works fine as a pill you know it's not something if it's someone's constitutional pattern and I'm mixing it in with other herbs I might use it as raw herbs but if often the pills will work really well for that so there are some times when you know you don't need raw herbs the other thing I guess that raw herbs or having a raw herb dispensary at your clinic um, gives you a big advantage is that you can make your own tinctures as well. So you can do lots of different things with your raw herbs that you maybe can't do with just having a granule pharmacy. Yeah, tinctures are great. Um, and I think it's something that practitioners are less inclined to do because of um, perhaps the lack of tradition within Chinese medicine in terms of, um, you know, it's not something that we're taught at school. Mm. Um, And uh, I guess a lack of confidence around, well, what does the alcohol extract do versus a water extract? Do you have any, um, anything to share about your experience with using tinctures and what you've used them for and what you find they're good for and what they're not good for? Sure. Well, I guess I learned about tinctures through seeing them used in Steve's clinic and, um, so 
we would do a tincture that's um, the herbs are extracted in a mix of alcohol and water at a, um, I'll double check the ratio, but I think soaking them in that, they're soaked for about two weeks and soaking them in that mix of alcohol and water means that the different constituents are being pulled out. Some of them alcohol kind of accesses more compounds. And so I use tinctures a lot for gynae and um, I think particularly for pain, the alcohol can get a lot of the um, alkaloids and components that are good for pain relief out of the herbs. And then, of course, it's that convenience where people can take them just as needed. So they can take them as well as their herbs at a time that they need to take them, like, for example, when their period starts and they need that extra little bit of um, pain relief or um, to help clear some clotting or things like that for their periods. So the tinctures just give you another option and something I guess that's a bit easier and ready-made and most people look some people actually prefer the taste of the raw herbs to the tincture so you'll give them a tincture and then they're like oh my god the raw herbs are nothing compared to this because the alcohol does have a bit of a taste but generally patients can use they can put some boiling water on the tincture to dilute it down for drinking and that burns off a bit of that really alcohol taste I've been playing around with a few more of my own tinctures as well um, these days and I'm finding some good results with making a really good sleepy one. It's not quite a Tianwang Bushin done, but it's approaching that. Um, so maybe the alcohol helps as well. Maybe that helps knock someone out for sleep. Who knows? <laughs> not that we're endorsing that or anything. No, but, no, uh... no, no. <laughs> the other um, tincture that, um, one tincture that I guess anyone who's ever studied at Steve's clinic would swear by is the cool liver stress tincture, which is, uh, it's his take on Jiawei Xiaoyosan with a lot of extra little bits and pieces. And um, I have a lot of patients who love to have a bottle of that around just for those times when they're getting a little bit more stressed out. And yeah, I don't know whether that little bit of alcohol calms them down too with that, but it's really just a good thing to take at that time um, when they need it there and then to feel like they're helping themselves a bit more. Kind of like a uh, a Chinese herb version of Rescue Remedy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nice. So one of the things that I know new practitioners and student um, students of Chinese medicine like to hear when they're listening to our podcast is they love to hear what herbs, what herb formulas, what herb combos, like what are, what are some of the gems that, um, that you can share with some of our listeners? I mean, pra- experienced practitioners love hearing this stuff too. We all love it. That's but, true. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. What are your go-to combos or go-to formulas? Oh, okay. Um, so the gem I'm, I'd like to share is um, one for cold and flu, which I guess is a bit um, topical at the moment, given that we're in um, coronavirus territory. And I'm not saying that this is a formula that will treat that, but I've just found that taking herbs when you start to feel like you're coming down with something and that prevention is really good. So this is something, I guess, that I've experimented and tried out on myself and my family members, as well as prescribing to patients when when I see them in time and it's a formula from the I'm going to get the name wrong but I think it's the Shubing Lun it's a book that um, Steve translated parts of and it's a formula to take at the first sign of a cold or flu so when you just start to go oh I hope I'm not getting sick and it's very light small doses of some exterior herbs and this is off the top of my head, but it has shingren, 
Chen Pi, Jie Geng, Bang Feng, and spring onions. So three, the white bit of three spring onions. I'm going to double check that and hopefully we can put it in the show notes if I've forgotten a herb. But that's the kind of, that's one of the magical formulas that Steve passed down to me that if I can, if I can take that when I start to get a little sniffle, I'm not going to get sick. Nice one. I like that. We definitely will follow up and get that accurately yes. in the show notes for you guys. And and the key, I guess, that I didn't say is that that's one of those exterior formulas that you only really want to be boiling for like five, maximum 10 minutes, because you want that light effect to be going to the outer surfaces of the body. You don't want it. It's not a deep tonic that you want to, you know, boil for a long time. You just want the, you want some of those volatile components in it. So that's, that's a go-to formula for sure. And would you use that um, potentially as prevention or is this for only once you've got that very, the very early startings of a, um, of a, an external attack? No, it's a really good prevention as well. It's just something, so, you know, if you've been in clinic and you've been seeing people who've been coughing and sneezing all day, you could, you could have some of that or you could go, mm, I'm just feeling a little bit scratchy or a little bit, um, a little bit sniffly. Um, I mean, Gweja tongue is also a beautiful formula for that, um, particularly if you're feeling a bit chilled and, um, and cold, but it's just a more neutral formula. So you don't have to decide, have I got a wind heat? Have I got a wind cold? You just go, there's been a little bit of wind come in. I'm, I want to either make sure I don't get sick or I want to make sure I head off the early signs. And it's quite tasty. It's, it's a bit like drinking a kind of strange herbal version of miso soup. Oh, I like the sound of that. Strange herbal miso soup. Nice, (laughs) nice. Um, Do you have any favourite combos or favourite formulas that you'd like to go to for uh, for gynae stuff, period pain or endo? Um, I have some favourite herbs that I'm going to throw into the mix and these are ones that I just, um, you know, can't live without and so you you get those herbs and you have to have them in your dispensary and... um, Imutsao is second to none for getting rid of any um, clotting in the period, but also chongweizu, which is the seeds of the imutsao, um, can be more useful if someone's getting headaches premenstrually or with the period. That one seems to do the trick. Of course, um, the combination of dangwei and chuanxiong for, for gynae stuff is just key. You know, it hits the blood level and the qi level, and the two herbs really work well together. Um, I'm a big fan of using um, Chuan Shu Duan as well for um, for endo, particularly when there's a lot of back pain involved for heavy bleeding and also in early pregnancy for someone who's having um, frequent miscarriages. Um, that's another area I didn't maybe mention so much before, but another area that I find raw herbs to be really important for. So if I have someone come to see me who's got a history of miscarriages and often getting a bit of lower back pain and just looking a bit kidney deficient, they're usually quite happy to take some herbs in the first trimester and they can be boiled for a shorter time so they're not as strong, but they really need some lifting, some huang chi and things like this, and then the chuan shu duan to really um, look after the chong and ran and the kidneys. Fabulous. Now you do a bit of stuff with skin too, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, I've studied with, you know, a few of the different skin 
practitioners or people who are really passionate about that. And I guess skin's another area that I've found that raw herbs really just get a better result. Acne, look, sometimes if it's hormonal acne, then um, it, a jawe shayasan or something like that will be enough to um, get it under control. But when it's more than just a hormonal acne, the herbs, the raw herbs just seem to help clear that inflammation and heat and get the result. Because usually when someone comes to see you with a skin condition, they've, you know, they've tried a lot of other things first and it's very visible. So they're very conscious of it and they just want it fixed and they want to get that result. And the results on the outside too, it's not like someone coming for fertility and you say it's going to take two or three cycles, but we'll see your period change and your energy change. For them, it's their skin and they'll see quite quickly, is it improving? Is it looking less inflamed? Are lesions resolving and things like this? So it's an area where I feel like I have to get the results or at least get that improvement for them early on. And so I go for the raw herbs. And so eczema and psoriasis are probably two other things in the skin arena where I treat a lot with raw herbs. And do you have particular formulas that you like to go for or do you... Um, are you always constructing a formula from scratch? Do you like? Do you start with yeah. a, like a formula in your head sometimes, or and then modify it, or do you just go right? What are the herbs that I need, and kind of build up your own formula? So I do a bit of each. I I definitely try to start with a formula, you know, that fits the pattern, and um, sometimes that's really clear and really easy, and sometimes they get the straight formula with no additions or substitutions, but Usually I can't resist tweaking it just a little bit. And then there are sometimes people where there's three or four patterns going on and I might start with an idea of one formula, say the idea of doing a, a sewer tongue. So you might want to do some blood building, but then you'd say, okay, if I do some shengdi and some dangwe and some baishao, then I can add in um, some more herbs for pain. And then there's a bit of clotting, so I want to clear that. So I'm kind of thinking more, I guess I'm thinking more in terms of the different symptoms that someone has and then tweaking that formula, trying to start with an idea and then tweaking and adding in two or three or two herbs for each bit that's going on to make sure that we're invigorating the blood, clearing clotting, um, moving any dampness and um, clearing that through the urination or whichever way we're going to do it, moving the bowels if that's why heat's in the body. So, yeah, it's probably a more practical way of going with it. Great. It's always so nice to talk shop and it's so great to have my first episode back, you know, back on the horse. Um, get the nerd on. Get the nerd on, talking about herbs. Um, yeah, I feel right at home and hopefully our listeners do too. Do you have any final parting parting gifts of wisdom that you want to share with our audience? I think that just that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can do raw herbs and you can do granules and all the other bits and pieces, but just, you know, give them a shot. Don't write them off as being too hard. And you can start with quite a small dispensary as well. You don't need to start with 200 herbs in beautiful glass jars. You can start with saying, okay, what, what, what am I going to be treating? What do I see the most of? What herbs do I use all the time? And you start with, say, 20 or 30 common herbs and then as stuff starts coming to you can you can order some more in and just squeeze a little more room into your dispensary and do all the rest of it so yeah don't it's not all or nothing um start small and um it's an area where i guess that mentorship can be really important and so if you're lacking that confidence then try to 
work with a herbalist and get some of that knowledge that you can only get through experience rather than what works well in theory when you're learning doesn't always work in the clinic. That's great advice. It's great advice. And I think it's really important as well to remember what it's like to take herbs. And I think if oh, you've yes. got a raw herb dispensary in your clinic, then take it, you know, take your herbs, get some for, you know, if you don't feel confident to prescribe a formula for yourself, you know, get a colleague to prescribe for you so that yes. you've got that ongoing experience of knowing what your patients are going through and just remembering how how it feels that you can feel the effects of the formula right from the second it, that you're cooking it up and the smell fills your house and, you know, the volatile compounds get into your nose and and then you're drinking it, hits your taste buds, like all of those effects, it's so different than taking a pill, you know. That's it. And, look, I think it's I think it's an area where you, you definitely can't treat yourself as well as um, someone else. So, you know, you might go easy on yourself and go, oh, no, that one tastes a bit yuck. I don't want that in my formula. So it's, it's good to see a colleague or another practitioner and, um, you know, let them figure out what's going on with you and get that picture and... Um, I guess that was part of my experience. You know, every time I'd turn up with a bit of a sore throat, Steve well, would say, okay, a wrap. take some herbs. Thanks for coming on the show today, Mary Jo. Oh, thanks for having me, Claire. It was lots of fun talking herbs. Yeah, great. Great having you on the show and um, we'll get you back on again soon. Sounds good. Okay, bye for now. Bye, Claire. Thank you.